0: Rice, Chicago. Woo! Three titles in six years. Yes, it is worth cheering for. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Musings on Madison, hopefully a significantly less technically difficult episode of Musings on Madison here on the Second City Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Dave Melton, assistant editor here at Second City Hockey, and with me in this hockey-less wilderness are two of the usual people joining me on these airwaves. First off, we have the analytics darling of Second City Hockey. It is Shepard Price. Hello. Hi, Shepard. Right. Should we should we revisit the conversation we were just having before we came on the air? Uh, no, no, no. We shouldn't. Let's not do that. No, we shouldn't. I don't want to yell at you anymore about you thinking Matt Stafford is better than Aaron Rodgers.
1: Currently, yes.
0: <sighs>
1: at at their at their this, peak, Aaron Rodgers is better. But right now, <laughs> as it stands, Matt Stafford is better.
2: Okay.
0: Well, I'm, I just wanted to get that on the record so everyone can come back and tell you how wrong you are if we get a football season in three to four months. So I I just want to have that out there for everyone. There that is going to be the extent of the NFL discussion, even though the draft is Thursday night and we all need a sports thing to talk about. So Shepard's here and the other guy here who, you know, I, I, I was going to make a Jerry Cross joke, but I really don't want to do that to you, Brandon. So Brandon Kane's here. Hey, that's me. I think it's Tuesday still. It is Tuesday. Can I don't know if
2: days really matter at this point, but it's there.
0: It's, yeah, I... I mean, I, there's so many things that would revolve around sports for me, like schedule-wise. Like if sports were on during the day, I knew it was Saturday or Sunday. If they were only on at night, then I knew it was a weekday. With no sports on the schedule at all, I have no idea.
1: There's yeah. wrestling, and that's how I keep track of days.
0: Is it still every Monday night for pro
1: Monday, Monday night is uh, raw. Monday night say- raw. Um, is,
0: is One is WCW Nitro air.
1: That is no longer a show. Oh, uh, really? <laughs> on Wednesday nights is NXT, or if you watch AWAW, and then Friday nights is SmackDown. And that's how I remember days.
0: All right, well, there we go. And there's the extent of the pro wrestling discussion that we're going to have on today's podcast. So thank you for that, Shepard. We appreciate it. So since we've last talked to you, uh, not much has happened, which I think is kind of a given with the way things are going right now. Uh, there was an interesting tweet from Pierre Lebrun that we might dive into a little bit later. Uh, the only Blackhawks related thing we can say is that Andrew Shaw made the comments recently to, I was trying to find exactly, oh, he was during a Q and a he did with the NHL on Monday. They were discussing the last dance documentary that aired on ESPN Sunday night about the 97, 98 Chicago bull season. And he said he wanted to see a 2015 version of that documentary involving or I should say a version of that documentary covering the 2014-2015 Blackhawks the last Blackhawks team to win the Stanley Cup and I would certainly be intrigued by that because there was a lot of things going on with that team that were interesting there, there's there's always been a lot of rumors and suggestions about things going on in the locker room with that team I don't know if they would answer those questions in a 10-part documentary, but Shepard, Brandon, either one of you guys, uh, what would you think? Would you watch if they got a 10-part – first of all, here, here's a better question because I think we'd all watch. Are there 10 parts to explore out of that team?
1: I I, I think we need to see how the 10 parts of the 90 – i I I'm again, I was two years old when this happened, so uh, correct me if I'm wrong on the dates here – it's the ninety seven, ninety eight Bulls, right?
0: Yes, ninety seven, ninety eight. That is correct.
1: So we need to see how they handle that season because I've read both of the other Jordan books, Jordan Rules, and uh, the, okay. the Halberstam book. Um, so I, I want to see what the ten parts are like. But I believe you could easily get six to eight parts out of twenty fifteen.
0: I'm glad you mentioned the Jordan Rules book because I, I read that one as well. And there's this, there was the story going around earlier last week, or not earlier last week. Before the documentary aired on the Bulls one on Sunday night, that Michael Jordan was worried this documentary was going to make him look like an asshole. And you read that book, Shepard. What? None, if you read that book, Jordan was kind of an asshole. I think B.J. Armstrong could attest to that very well, if I remember correctly from that book.
1: Both both books make Jordan Jordan look like an asshole. He was yeah. he was he's an over he's an over gambling addicted asshole.
0: <laughs> That's one way to put it. But I I thought Jordan was. The thing that separates him from everybody, why I would, I've always argued the whole Michael Jordan, LeBron James debate, I've always ordered that if you put the two of them together in a game, Jordan would win because Jordan was competitive to a level that was borderline psychotic. I don't know if LeBron James has that level of competitiveness within him. I think LeBron James might be more talented, more physically gifted than Jordan was, but Jordan would find some... He would go to some place in his mind that he could go to to win a game that LeBron may not be able to. And that's the difference between those two guys.
1: To borrow a phrase, Michael Jordan was the originator of Mamba mentality.
0: There you go. There you go. Well said. Good job, Shepard. Way where to, where to bring out all the good takes after your shitty Aaron Rodgers one earlier. I only have good takes. <laughs> Brandon, what do you think about all of this stuff that we're rambling about already? um
2: yeah i feel like there's there's enough there for a 10-part series i think the difference with the bulls one is the bulls just like captivated not just like the nba or north american sports world but it was like globally like they were the shit they were like real madrid of now
0: they were like a They were a worldwide phenomenon absolutely yeah
2: um with the blackhawks like in that space yeah they like dominated the north american scene because it was like oh yeah hockey blackhawks like that's how people thought of the nhl and i guess the kings too
0: yeah uh, eh, not really
2: in <laughs> that like you know i don't know six five six window year window um and then like as far as like what could be in there there's brad richard signing uh the Deadline deal of Vermette, Terra coming into his own, Pecorine being hot shit and then just not being great in that series. Minnesota being so hot and they were going to make the Western Conference final for the first or the second time in history, and then that didn't happen. And then that insane seven game series against the Ducks. I feel like you could do like a mini-series just off that one.
0: That right, conference yeah, final yeah.
2: against the Ducks. Like that was
0: I mean, you crazy. could do a pretty lengthy deep dive on Ryan Kessler probably having a forever hating the Blackhawks because every time he was on a team that seemed like it was worthy to win the cup, the Hawks sent their asses home. So not only a couple times with Vancouver, but also again in Anaheim. So I guess there's that angle to explore. I just – I think the problem is – And then TVR
2: broke his kneecap.
0: Do you remember that? In Wait, November Kessler's kneecap.
2: No, TVR broke his his kneecap.
0: I yeah, I don't remember how that happened though.
2: I don't. Yeah, I don't remember either. But and then I, Sharp got injured as well for like a month.
0: Yeah, and then you can do the aftermath Versteeg,
2: episode. The cane like the whole God, there were so many injuries on this. Yeah, Sharp, Versi, the whole like cane collarbone thing, and that was the same night as Derrick Rose oh yeah there's a there's a lot of uh things to this and then like to like off the ice thing there's the whole thing with um clint rife and that situation yeah that which like at the end of it it could be like for bringing up his kid at the rally and that was like a real touching moment that everyone really
0: enjoyed that's right yeah yeah like there's there's stories to be explained but i think the problem with the and this is a problem with hockey in general, that they're so it's such a team oriented culture and it's it's kind of boring sometimes. Like just you don't really get to see the sides of like the personalities of much of these athletes. I mean I, I think we've gotten glimpses just because we've been following the this Blackhawks team and they've had so many players around for so long, like Taves, Kane Keith, Seabrook, Crawford. Like I think we have a bit of understanding of who they are, but like some of the newer guys, like There's not a lot of glimpses into their personalities away from the ice. Meanwhile, all these NBA guys from the 90s and just from those Bulls in general, I mean, good God, you could do five episodes on Dennis Rodman.
1: Yep.
2: Can you imagine the numbers that Dennis Rodman would do on Instagram these days? (laughs) (laughs) Like back in the 90s, like, holy hell. Who's just like, yeah, I want a 48-hour vacation to Vegas during the season. Like,
0: who does that? Well, there's – and I imagine – now, is that the story that Billy Corgan told? Is that what you're referencing, the 48-hour one? Yeah, I think so. Okay, because, yeah, because I heard yeah, – it was like during the NBA finals after game two at like one in the morning, Dennis Rodman called up Billy Corgan, who's the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins, if anyone doesn't know that, and said, hey, do you want to go to Vegas? And Billy Corgan being a Chicago area native, right? Yeah, he's from the Carroll Stream maybe. Okay. I I, I know he – I always associate him with Chicago. Odd. I don't know if he was actually from the city or suburb or whatever. But like after like between between two games of the NBA Finals, Dennis Rodman went on a binge in Vegas because that's what you did in the '90s, apparently.
1: I mean, that's what you did if you're Dennis Rodman. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, like I I, like—is there a Dennis Rodman personality on the Blackhawks? Has there ever been? There's
1: there's not a Dennis Rodman personality in in
0: the NHL. I don't know if there's one in any sport right now. Dennis Rodman was he was a very unique character and I don't think there's ever been anything like him before during or after his career.
2: I think the closest would be Sean Avery.
0: Yeah. Yeah. From an NHL standpoint, probably. Yeah. Trying to think of some other colorful NHL people. Sean Avery's, I, that's a good one.
1: I mean, PK's PK is colorful, but he's been forced to shut it down a little bit.
0: Yeah. I, he's, but he's not, he's not as wildly unpredictable as, Dennis Robin was and Sean Avery was to an extent like Sean Avery just did a bunch of obnoxious shit just to be Sean Avery. So, um, so I, I'm assuming both of you guys watched the bulls documentary. Cause since yeah. my entire timeline yeah. was talking about it, and, and Sunday, Monday and into today, which was Tuesday, Brandon, which we covered yesterday is still Tuesday. Uh, what did you guys think about it? Cause I could not, I couldn't get enough of it. I wanted to rewatch it again when it came back on at 11.
2: I did. I watched the first episode again. <laughs> Um, I thought it jumped around a little bit. Like, I don't need it to be completely, like, chronological timeline, but some of it was kind of pieced together a little bit strangely to me. Um, and I'm glad that they kind of showcased that it wasn't just, like, everything kind of fell into place. It was, like, no, the bowls were absolute garbage.
0: I That's a part I, I didn't realize. <laughs> I did not realize that they were playing in empty buildings before Jordan got there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the dying franchise is like, Holy wait. Wow. What, what this is, it's, it's Chicago. It's this, it, it's what the second largest city at the time. What, what is happening?
0: Yeah. And like they were, they had some good teams in the seventies. Like they weren't terrible. I mean, I they didn't win any NBA finals, but there's a few numbers in the rafters at United center from those seventies teams. I believe.
2: Yeah, so I, th- I feel like it did a good job of, like, yes, this is going to be about, like, the last dance, like, their last season together. But to spend those first two episodes, like, laying the groundwork of, like, here are your main people. Here's how they got there. Um, and I feel like the third episode or fourth episode is going to deal with, like, the Pistons. So then you, like, kind of weave in the background with Rodman.
0: Yeah, the third episode is supposed to be Dennis Rodman, which is where I think the Pistons and the Bad Boys will come up, and I cannot wait to remind myself how much I hate Isaiah Thomas. I, I haven't been a huge basketball fan since kind of the Jordan era ended. I hated Isaiah Thomas. I don't know what it is about him, but he was one of my most favorite players to hate.
2: I don't feel like I ever hated a basketball player.
0: I ah, missed out. Basketball, hate. basketball hates fun. Is it? I, don't I mean, know. I think sports hate in general is pretty fun. <laughs> I, I think that's that's one of the things I missed the most from the Blackhawks not being as good the last three to four years is you, you need to have your team be good enough to justify your disdain Chicago. for the other teams. I get, like, you know, you can't really – the way the Blackhawks have been the last two to three years, you can try and talk shit to all these other fan bases and, and any other fans you encounter out in the world, but they're just like, oh oh, look at you Blackhawks fans. So, so adorable. They just we, lost head our, and keep walking. we lost our bragging
1: rights to the St. Louis Blues. Yeah, and like, holy shit, that feels so bad.
0: Oh, the mo- One of the most fun days of my life was going to game two of the Hawks Blues series in St. Louis when Seabrook almost killed David Backus. I've, wakey, never, wakey. I've never yelled at more strangers in my life. And <laughs> I had so much. That was the most fun day. The pin tweet on my Twitter account still says I'm being booed at IHOP in St. Louis, and that's from that day. Those were good times.
1: Those are great times.
0: Those are great times. But, uh, Shepard, I know you were you said you were two years old, so what did you get out of watching this Bulls documentary? Because one of my favorite things that I've seen over the last 48 hours since that documentary has come on is the obvious gaps in generations based off what they did and did not know about those teams. So I've read
1: both of the books written about the Jordan era. Okay. Uh, the, Hal- the Halberstam book oh. and Jordan rules. Oh, so, um, so you cheated. I, I, well, I, I cheated before it was possible to cheat. Okay. Um, I, did, I did my pre-reading. Uh, I have only seen the first episode. I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch the second episode after we finish this recording. But uh, it's not stuff I didn't know. Like Jerry Krause being like underpaying basically everybody – Including until like his first retirement, Jordan is not news to me. Um, Jordan was making like six million dollars until his first retirement, which is insane for the best player in the in the world, hands down.
0: Well, um, I guess there was something. There was something that happened between. I don't exactly. Sometime in the early to mid '90s, something changed with television rights or something. There was a massive influx of money into the NBA and contracts just skyrocketed, which is why the whole Scotty Pippen situation became such a big deal.
1: Yeah. It's always TV rights. If, oh, if yeah. there's a mess, if, if, if there's a massive escalation in rights, it's just because of TV rights
0: and contracts. I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, that thing, but, that's where all the money comes from.
1: But I'm, I'm very much looking forward to the Pistons because I've seen the bad boys, uh, thirty for thirty and um, I, 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 I love that era. As soon as Russell Westbrook retires, I'll be back to being a Bulls fan too.
0: And it like we were talking about this, I think it was a couple episodes ago, but I like they're showing some of these nineties clips of the Bulls and the Pistons and kind of the Bulls Knicks games, more in the early nineties the first uh, three peat that they had was this was relevant forward. But it's funny watching those games and there's just like blatant cheap shots And just blatant things that are not allowable within the rules of the game of basketball, but they happened all the time in the early '90s. It reminds me of watching '80s hockey, where you're seeing dudes just hacking and slashing and doing all these things that you might get thrown out of games if you did this now, but back then, yeah, go ahead, it's fine, it's totally cool. Refs don't even care.
2: I I feel like there was a video I saw floating around on Twitter where it was from the '92 Cup final and. Yager and Lemieux were basically just, you know, having a good old time in the offensive zone playing catch with each other. And all of the Blackhawks defensemen were just like whacking the shit out of Yager. And he was just like, all right, cool, whatever. Like, I'm just going to spin around in the zone, do whatever the hell I want. And I was just like, what in the, yep. That's, those are four slash calls that weren't made. (laughs) What in the world?
0: I think I'm glad I got into hockey like two to three years after that because I think if I had what if my first Blackhawks memory was them losing to the Penguins in a Stanley Cup, it might have significantly affected my fandom at that point. You I mean, but that's, that's one
1: of the that's one of the best teams of all time because Lemieux and Yager, but also the 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 rest of that team.
0: Yeah, like like Ron Francis was like the depth center I think on that team, and isn't yeah. Ron Francis in the Hall of Fame?
1: Yep, he's like he's like the twenty first best center of all time,
0: and I, yeah, I'm I'm gonna look up this team because I do remember you. I do remember it being a absurdly loaded roster, and the fact that the Hawks got stomped by them in the Stanley Cup doesn't really. It it kind of makes sense that the Hawks got swept because that team is good. Oh, and Kevin Stevens had 123 points that season. Like, we're all talking about Lemieux and Yager. Yager was sixth on that team in points in the regular season because he also had Mark Reckey and Larry Murphy and Joe Mullen and Kevin Stevens and Paul Coffey and Rod Francis, Rick Tockett, Brian Trache. Holy shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all and, right. and, 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 that, and that sixth in points
1: is like the fifth best player of all time.
0: Yeah, yeah. All right, yeah.
1: Sixth in points,
2: number one in flow. I, what team do you like, aside from the Blackhawks? Do you think, like NHL-wise, there could be like a last dance documentary type thing on?
0: I think 80s you have Islanders. A- Go ahead. You say 80s,
1: 80s yeah. i the 80s Islanders because that that four year run where they just won every year and Mike Bossy being one of the greatest goal scorers of all time. Because let's be honest, people Alexander Ovechkin has passed him, um, but. Yeah, you can. That that where the, if they kept everybody together, um, their team just kept the puck in uh, the uh, the opposing zone to the point that their goaltender could like sit on the goal and wait uh, for them to approach again. Like that team is one of the most dominant teams ever, and they went against the Oilers repeatedly.
0: Yeah. Well, I I was, my first thought was the Oilers and you could, but you'd have to end it with the big chapter on Gretzky getting traded because oh, they've already done a 30 for 30 on that. So I don't know if they want to do that again. I'm like, I'm trying to think like, it, like, it's a combination of you need for like a really good sports documentary. I think you need a combination of a really good talent, either team or player or collection of players. And then you need like, some sort of personality you need something interesting to talk about and I again I kind of go back to the thing with hockey where they they kind of coach that out of people yeah you know the the way the culture is in the sport like there's no like individuality I mean the Edmonton Oilers could win the next five Stanley Cups and they couldn't do anything good about it because Connor McDavid is the most boring human being to ever exist on the planet which is fine He's gonna be. He's probably already the best NHL player in the world, and and he doesn't need to be very interesting. But it doesn't make for good TV, I guess, is what I, is the argument here? Um, I mean, I'd i watch a pretty deep dive on the Red Wings Avalanche rivalry from the late '90s. That was that was a pretty good one.
2: Yeah, for
0: sure. I think the the 2010 Blackhawks teams. If you could get the players to sit around and tell all the stories about all the bars. Uh, all the nights going to the bars after games, because that's seems like that's all that team did was play hockey and drink. They've probably got a few good stories and that haven't been released to the public yet. Um, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't think, I don't think the NHL has that because I don't think the NHL has, as we were discussing earlier, I don't think the NHL has characters like Dennis Rodman with it within its ranks.
2: Yeah. I would say the, the eighties Oilers cause you have the Gretzky Messier dynamic. But I'd be totally fine with the other options that you guys floated out too.
0: Yeah, I mean like even, And then
2: and it's also like, hey, these will be in color as well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, even like the just the most interesting of the three Blackhawks teams, like you know, like each team has its own thing. I mean the the 2010 team ended a massive drought, and it was a bunch of young guys coming together and really finding their footing in their careers. The 2013 team was like coming out of the lockout.
2: And just said, fuck it.
0: Yeah, just won everything for the first half of the season. And I think by far the most dominant of those teams. And as far as interesting sto- – I don't know, but there wasn't really anything like off the ice, I guess, that was interesting with that team. Like they were just ungodly good. I mean, the I, lockout I mean, I and where happily...
1: everybody went. Huh? The lockout and where everybody went. So Kane playing in, like, Switzerland. Oh, and yeah. And You playing. in you can <laughs> and do, and you can Tyler Segan and living together.
0: Yeah. 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 Johnny Oduy was playing in Thailand, I think. Yeah. 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 I mean, but then we talked about, like, the 2015 team had a lot of off-ice drama, a lot of off-ice rumors about more drama, and then, like, everything on the ice, there was – I remember not thinking that team was going to win the cup. Like I I remember having significant doubts about that team and then they put it all together. Right. Right. When it mattered. I would happily, if somebody wants to make a sports documentary, I I feel like there's a lot more stories to be told from any of those three teams. So if anybody listening to this has the budget and wants to put together a documentary about any of those Blackhawks teams, please, please feel free to do that. I will happily watch. Brandon will write about it. Shepard will write about it. I might even write about it too. We, We will watch.
2: And and you got plenty of time to do research now.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, don't we all? Kind of in a similar vein, I think we're going to take a brief time out here. And when we come back on the other side of this, we want to talk about a few teams from around that era of Blackhawks hockey when they were winning Stanley Cups. But we want to talk about the teams that didn't win a Stanley Cup, and we'll get into that right on the other side of this break. Welcome back to Musings on Madison. And as promised, before the break, we're going to dive into a little topic that's been popping up not only on our website, at secondcityhockey.com, but all over the SB Nation family of uh, websites. And the entire concept is discussing the best teams to never win a championship. And as I click on the heading for that at the SB Nation website, I see references to the Portland Trailblazers, about 20 different Notre Dame teams, Seattle Supersonics, which don't even exist anymore, Houston Rockets. I mean, there, there's a lot of content up there, so no matter what team you you want. Oh, the New England Patriots. I, I'm sure that's a really long list, the best teams to not win a championship. But anyway, 85. what we're concerned with here, obviously, are the best Blackhawks teams to never win a championship. And we nailed it down to, I believe, three teams once we put this all together. I think was the final number we settled on. Did we do four?
2: I think we did four.
0: I I, I, I'm going to try to find the article, but.
2: Yeah, we did four and the teams didn't make the cup final. Okay. Yeah. That okay. was that was a thing that we didn't put in the post, but that was the thinking because obviously you would put the 7071 team and the 9192 team yeah. in there, but just to be a little bit different.
0: <laughs> all right, yeah, just to give people something to read because God knows we all have time. So the team I, of course, wrote about, which I think was a pretty easy selection for the best Blackhawks team to not win a cup, is a 2013-14 team that lost to the Kings in Game 7 and overtime of the Western Conference Final, um, as I think it's a pretty good argument when the roster is pretty much the same. They win a cup in the season before and the season after, but the team in the middle did not despite getting that far in the playoffs. So obviously that was a pretty loaded team. And we're going to come back to them in a second, but I want to let uh, you guys touch on a few of the other teams you dove into. Brandon, you talked about the 66 to 67 Blackhawks, the 90 to 91 Blackhawks, which was the season before they lost to the Penguins in the Cup. And then Shepard, you referenced the 2016 to 2017 Blackhawks. And I guess we'll start there, Shepard, with why did you want to have that team on this list?
1: Because how else do you get Artemi Panarin and, and the and Patrick Kane on the same line on, on this list? Oh, because that's th-
0: that's probably yeah. There you go.
1: Two well, of the best players in the NHL right now were on were on the line, and wow. it was the got it produced the first American Heart winner. Uh, you got to get them somewhere on there.
0: Yeah, and there's, and I, I know that team got swept and just looked so disjointed, it just just looked so bad in that Nashville series. But I think that is a. It was just the worst matchup at the worst possible time. I don't think that's indicative of the actual quality of that team. I think it was a very, very good hockey team. And, I mean, the Predators ended up going to the Cup that year. So, it's not like the Nashville was a bum. Like, they were supposed to be better in the regular season than they were. And then, I guess, the first week of April, they just figured shit out, apparently. Yep.
1: And then, all of a sudden, their top-tier NHL defense became their top-tier
0: NHL defense. Yeah, they they always had – more talented blue liners than anybody but weren't playing like it and then again at the worst possible time for Blackhawks fans they <coughs> all figured it out. And, and and as you mentioned, that was the last season of Hosa in Chicago, last season of Yalmerson in Chicago. Duncan Keith still very good. I guess the, the only qualm I have about that is that Blackhawks defense, yeah it had Keith, yeah it had Jalmerson, but what did it have after that?
1: Uh, Seabrook was still decent.
0: Uh, ish. Eh. Uh, when, now wasn't stretching. Oduya on that team too? I think that's was that when they got Oduya back. I believe so. I don't, yeah, but I don't. If I remember correctly, it did not work out anywhere near as well as it did the first time around. No, as uh, as is par for the course when the Blackhawks go and reacquire a former player.
1: Unless well, it's that's, <laughs> that's also part of the problem is that the the black the black the like that's probably their biggest problem is that the defense wasn't good. But Corey Crawford kept stepping up behind them.
0: Also, yeah, I forgot Richard Panik scored 22 goals that year. Yeah. <laughs> totally forgot about that. It, it, was that the season he Big scored panic. that ridiculous goal against Pittsburgh where he, like, pulled it back through his skates, kicked it up to his stick, and then buried it under the bar?
2: Yeah, I think that is.
0: That was, yeah. When he scored that goal, Everything everyone was like, that was Patrick Kane, wasn't it? That was not Richard Panik. There's no way he just did that.
2: I feel like that was – his celebration was like, oh, shit. Like, I did that thing. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. I've been doing that in practice for 10 years. I actually tried it in a game and it worked. What?
2: It was like the, uh, when Chris Versteeg tells a story about his like, oh shit moment with Quinville, he like scored some stupid goal. And Quinville was like, knock it off. Like, don't do that junior shit anymore. And then like after the game, he was like, yeah, it was a pretty good goal, huh? (laughs) There
0: there was some, it was in one of the books about the 2010 Hawks where Versteeg did something. And as he came to the bench, Quinville, like, threatened some sort of physical violence against him in a way that was so funny. Half the bench started laughing because it was so funny, whatever he said to Versteeg, and I wish I could remember it. Ah, now I'm going to have to go dig that up because it was really funny. Good story, Dave. Anyway. Right. Uh, Brandon, <laughs> the two teams you referenced, uh, real quickly, any notes on them? I mean, I don't know how many listeners we have that remember the 66 to the 67 team, but if you're listening, we're glad you're here, and Brandon, tell them all about that team.
2: Yeah, so when I was looking back at teams and trying to figure out like what '60s team that didn't make the Cup final that I could put on here, the '67 team, '66, '67 team jumped out because they were so stacked at the top of the league in scoring and also very astute uh, defensively. And Makita won basically every trophy he could. He was the star of the NHL. Hart Ross Hart Lady Bing and Hall was right behind him in points. And then Kenny Warham was third in goals and fourth in points. And back then the Vesnia was what the Jennings trophy is now. So Glenn Hall and Dennis DeJordy had the lowest save percentage. And when I was going back, like you think about these top goaltenders that have been in franchise history. Dennis DeJordy is not a name that you come up with right away.
0: No,
1: (laughs) no, no, no.
2: And it it was like the, the Swan song season for Glenn Hall too. So for like that changing of the guard dynamic and that must've been interesting. Like that stood out to me the most of like, Oh, you have this new guy coming in, taking in over for a legendary guy. Who's, Oh, that must've been something that had to be kind of nerve wracking going into the season.
0: Yeah, and it's logical to pick a, at least one team from that era because uh Bobby Hall, Stan Makita, and Glenn Hall all have numbers in the Raptors and they're all in the Hall of Fame. So obviously there were some talented teams in that yeah. in that uh stretch of Blackhawks hockey.
1: Plus you have the best Blackhawk of all time in that group.
2: Scott Foster. I mean <laughs> <laughs>
0: God damn it. Hey, at least say Eric Samorski, Mr. Stan, Stan Makita. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And it was also weird, like the, the playoff, I don't know if this was like a normal thing, but Chicago had the top seed and they played the third seeded Maple Leafs in the first round.
0: I'm glad we figured out what this meant for Toronto. Yeah.
2: (laughs) And Montreal was the second seed and they swept the Rangers who were the fourth seed. And then the Maple Leafs beat Montreal in six games in the cup final. So I'm like, if it was one through four, Chicago probably beats the shit out of New York and then they get what's ever left of Toronto and Montreal and maybe they get a cup there.
0: I am happy to tell you, I have absolutely zero idea how that happened.
1: Yeah. The, w- the playoff seeding used to be wild. One, three, two, Minnesota.
0: four. No. <laughs> I I, <seriously> said, wow, <laughs> I knew you were going to say something about Minnesota. I do remember then, that the, the 90, 91 Blackhawks I think there was an NHL network, one of their top 10 episodes, they did the top 10 playoff upsets ever. And I'm 90% sure that that Blackhawks team was on it. And apparently John Casey just turned into Ken Dryden for a week and a half. And that was pretty much it.
2: Yeah, I kept on trying to find out more information. And it basically was just like, yeah, the guy was just like, oh, like, so we win if I did, like the fuck doesn't go behind me? All right, I got it and just held the team, held the Blackhawks to two goals in the final three games of the series, and then they won.
0: Yeah, like, I don't... And it
2: just, like, all the numbers just, like, suddenly just dropped. And I was like,
0: what? Yeah, like, I don't remember. It's it's hard to find what the league average was for, like, goals against average and save percentage. I mean, now it's like, you got to be, like, in the low twos and the save percentage, like like, for an average goalie. Is like the goals against average is in the mid twos and a save percentage like 91, 92 range roughly. And John Casey's regular season stats that year, he played 55 games. His save percentage was at 891 and his goals against average is 298. That doesn't seem bad for that era when there was a lot more scoring involved. But then if you go to the series, six game series against the Blackhawks when apparently he just, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what happened. Like, again, I was four years old. Brandon, were you alive yet? We know Shepard wasn't. because I, was. I was. I was months old. Months old. <laughs> Congratulations. John Casey in that series played six games, and he had a save percentage of 9.04, and uh, his goals against average isn't listed here, but in six games he gave up 13 goals, so that's just a hair over two. So apparently he figured something out for six games.
2: And that was also like the bloodbath game. In game four, I think or three, where they just like were like, "Oh, we're gonna take a penalty like every four minutes."
0: Yeah, I mean, good. Oh, Look, <laughs> I'm looking at the penalty minutes for the Blackhawks. Keep in mind they only played six games in this series. Chris Chelios had 46 penalty minutes. Stu Grimson had 46 penalty minutes in five games. Wayne Presley had 38. Dave Manson had 36. Derek Graham had nine. They had. 1C4, 8 guys in double digits in penalty minutes that played 6 goddamn games. <laughs> That's impressive.
2: Chelios had 34 in just games 4 and 5.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I, I remember there's Something happened with Belfour in that series too, didn't it? I feel like he, he snapped at something. Yeah. Like, Belfour snapped a lot. Like, that was kind of his yeah.
2: thing. Yeah. Be more specific.
1: <laughs> like, Eddie, Eddie the tantrum.
2: Eagle. Oh goodness, that's one player I wish I could like remember more fondly. From yeah, his that's play in Chicago.
0: Yeah, I, I'm. I'm just uh, again. I I got into the Hawks just after he like as. That would be an interesting last dance documentary, and it, you couldn't call it last dance because it was a slow tearing apart. But <laughs> in the way that the '90s Blackhawks were slowly decimated to where, like, Roenick left town and Belfour left town and Chelios got traded and Amani left. Just the way, like, you had this team in the mid-'90s that was, like, seemed like it was getting on the verge of being a cup-worthy team, and then the Red Wings and the Avalanche showed up and won everything, which I don't know if the Blackhawks were ever going to beat any of those teams, but they seemed like they were still, like, in contention, and then very slowly just everybody left, and then the Hawks disappeared for a decade, and then we know what happened from there that would you be cook. an interesting documentary i would watch that
1: and you could call it like the curse of, of Wurtz.
0: yes yeah, so, yeah some, i, I cuz that's where all the fingers would be pointed middle thing case
2: run. scenario yeah
0: but getting back to the the 20s, <laughs> but,
2: you just totally ignored that
0: yeah yeah we're, we're <laughs> moving, moving on. on sorry sorry brad do you want to you want to keep going
2: i was saying you could call it the Wurtz case scenario <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm standing. <laughs> to move on. Where you could just like
2: have like sit everyone down and be like, "So did you think that they should have traded Hassick? Like that that should have been the well, there's the question.
0: There was uh <laughs> oh, there was it was at Puck Daddy several years ago. They had a bunch of black ho- or not just black. They had hockey blogs and websites uh, rewrite their own team's history. And like take something that happened within their their team's past and rewrite it the way you wish it would have went down. And I guess there was a there was a planned trade where the Hawks were going to trade Ed Belfort for Eric Lindros. Yeah. So, yeah. So which if like sounds like, you know, you lose Ed Belfort, but then you remember that the Blackhawks had Dominic Hashik in the system. Yep. And then you could have had Eric Lindros with Jeremy Roenick and Chris Chelios and everybody else on those awesome mid nineties teams. Oh, and Dominic Hoshik in net. Yeah. Yeah. So, (laughs) so that one, and credit to Sam Fells who wrote that article. I remember reading that and it was, I remember reading that not knowing that that had been a thing is like, Oh my God, that like that, that might've been a team that could have competed with the nineties, mid late nineties Red Wings and Avalanche because uh, the the teams that the Blackhawks had at the time just could not get up to that level. But anyway, uh, as we were talking about originally with this whole conversation, the 13-14 the Blackhawks, the best team to never win a Stanley Cup. I guess the one thing I want, I guess we could talk about here briefly is what what do you think was missing on that team? I think I, I have a pretty good idea of what what that team was missing. What do you guys think? All right, I have a pretty good opinion of it. I don't know if I'm right, but I have a thought. What about you guys, Shepherd Brandon?
1: Oh, oh, oh on the 2016-17 Blackhawks?
0: No, no, the 13-14 team. Ah, why? Uh, why, why did that? T- other than the fact that they ran into a really, 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 really good Kings team, why did that team not win a cup? When the team one after them did? one
1: good play from Nick Letty is what they were missing. That's it. If you if he gets if he gets that puck away from the crease, or that that bouncing Alec Martinez puck away from the crease, that I think the Blackhawks can win that overtime.
0: Brandon, what about you? I feel like the
2: fourth line and the time management of it were not good.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, I like that's one thing I I think I wrote about it, but like. I remember when we were discussing this. Like the whole thing, we were going to write is the problem with this team was that Andrew Shaw was a, the second line center, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like that line with Sadshaw. That line Payne, was fantastic. Oh God, they were they were lights out. But because Andrew Shaw was playing on the second line, he wasn't playing on the fourth line, and that meant Brandon Bolig was in the lineup for Game Seven. And it just Brandon Bolig. Well,
1: he not, was.
2: It was like two and a half minutes. So yeah, like, I, well,
0: and, like... that, and that that was a problem. When they came back the next season, the fourth line was Kruger, Andrew Shaw, and Andrew Desjardins, and that was a legitimate fourth line that they could rely on ten to twelve minutes a night to not fuck anything up, and actually scored several key goals. Like the one I remember vividly is they scored against Anaheim, where Shaw chased down a puck on the boards and centered it, and Desjardins, or maybe it was Desjardins to Shaw. I don't remember, but those two players were involved and they scored They scored. what was the game-clinching goal. So not having – because Shaw was playing on the second line, he wasn't on the fourth line. The fourth line was garbage, and that's why that team was just a smidgen shy of being deep enough to win a Stanley Cup.
2: So is this you saying uh, free Jeremy Morin? No.
0: <laughs> <laughs> was, he, was he on the – I thought he was gone by then.
1: He was uh, – no. No. Because he, he 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 came back and the, he he was the guy who got traded for Retro Panic. Uh,
0: to and so hockey reference, we I feel like I go to hockey reference nineteen times every time we do this. He got traded in. December, oh, he was still there in December twenty fourteen. So yeah, he was still on the team then because it was in it was a few months after that playoff series. It was during the last championship season. He was traded to Columbus by Chicago for Tim Erickson, and you guys all remember the Tim Erickson era in Blackhawks hockey.
2: Oh, what a joy.
0: Yeah, all eight games of it. <laughs> I can't believe – I didn't know he played eight games. I, I remember I remember that name, and then on March 1st, they put him on waivers and Toronto picked him up. And then he was in the Phil Kessel trade between Pittsburgh and Toronto. Was he really? He was – yeah, there you go. Hockey <laughs> – I could spend hours on – I think – you know what? That's one I think I might do at some point before – with all this free time we have is just go down a trade rabbit hole and see how far it goes. Cause th- there's gotta be some good ones involving the Blackhawks. Like you start with this guy, like, you know, uh, start with like the trade that brought Dave Manson back to Chicago in the mid and late nineties and see, you know, this guy was traded for this guy who's traded for this guy and see where you end up. Like, I don't know, maybe the Dave Manson trade ended up in- to bringing artemi panarin to chicago or not he wasn't acquired in a trade <laughs> good a story trade. never mind forget i'm gonna edit all that out don't worry it's maybe up. it
1: ended up bringing dominique Kubalik.
0: There, there you go exactly we, yeah thank you thank you for saving my tangent Shepard. i appreciate
2: it you guys remember victor tikanoff he played 11 games
0: I, yes that was 15, the, 16. The, i just I remember,
1: the translator
0: his dad was the coach from the uh the team that lost the miracle on ice right or is he was his dad a player there, were, there was a Viktor Tikhanov involved on the Soviet team in the 80s that the Americans beat at Lake Placid.
2: Uh, he was a player coach. I don't know if he was the coach of that team, though.
0: I believe he was. Uh, no, he would he would have been the coach because he was a defenseman from 43 to 60-something, 60 63. I believe he was. He was the coach when he here straight from Wikipedia. He was the coach of the Soviet team when it was the most dominant team in the world, winning eight world championships, as well as gold medals in 84, 88, and ninety two. So there you go. There there's your trivia question for the day. Victor Tikhanov's Oh, it was his grandpa.
1: Oh. Snap. That explains his, his grandpa playing in the forties. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I guess <laughs> I guess that should That's an old is? dad. <laughs> Well, sorry guys, a few drinks in this evening. It's been a week on Tuesday night. So I guess the only other thing that we wanted to touch on briefly is uh, this comment from, it was on a TSN article written by Frank Saravalli. I hope I said that right. I apologize if I haven't, I'm sure Frank's listening. But anyway, (laughs) one of the items discussed on the NHL's biweekly general managers conference call on Tuesday was the idea of conducting the 2020 draft virtually in June before the 2019-2020 season is completed. And that's a Pierre Lebrun report. There's, I I don't, if we get to June and they are still thinking they're going to finish the season and decide to do the draft before the season, that sounds so not proper or just not right. Like that that seems out of order. It seems, I feel like if we get that point, they just need to cancel the season, Right. The refusal to
1: cancel the season, yeah. They just need to it, – it, 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 like, the season needs to be canceled, like, now.
0: Um, I mean, I'm, I, I'm trying to be more optimistic, but I don't have a good way to refute what you're saying because there's, I, I don't – everything you read and hear about everything that's going on, I don't – unless they want to, like, do the quarantine thing and send everybody to Grand Forks, North Dakota for a month. But still, like if
1: if 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 coronavirus gets in that hotel with the NHL players, it's over. Oh, well,
0: yeah, but then, I mean, well, then you shut it down. I, I guess I guess they're deciding if that's a risk they are willing to take. I'm, I'm glad I don't have to make the decision because that's I, and there's uh, there's a lot going on. The other thing, this is a a total side tangent, but so I, I'm far from an economics major, but the price of oil was like negative dollars this morning. Which I didn't know that is a thing that could happen, but I do remember that in the mid twenty tens, when the price of oil went down, that affected the Canadian economy, which affected the Canadian dollar. It so it affected Canadian currency, which affected the uh, the value of Canadian currency, which affected the amount of revenue the NHL generated that year, and it affected the salary cap. So, yeah, if the price of oil is negative at negative dollars, that Cannot be a good sign for the NHL salary cap, right? They already
1: set there. Mm, they told uh, mm, there. There was a report that they had told players it was eighty one point five next year. Well, yeah, they, they said are, they'd already set,
0: flat. and yeah, I I, I don't even know how that could work. Like, right? I, if the,
1: if the, if the, if it goes down, you have to have the compliance buyouts.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're gonna lose, they're gonna lose all the play at, at least some, if not all of the playoff revenue, they're going to lose the revenue from the last, you know, fifth of the season that they're not going to be able to play. Like what? I, I don't know where the like the salary cap is always a portion of the revenue that the league generates. I, I don't know. I don't know how you get back up to that $80 million figure or 81 and a half, whatever it was.
1: You hope that you had a really successful year before that. That, we, that they've continued to experience growth and that the 68-ish games played before that were brought in a good amount of revenue.
0: Right. Well, I, I hope we can get to a point where we are talking about the salary cap in a more serious, concrete manner because that doesn't mean hockey is back again and sports are back again. But, you know, I guess, I guess we'll see when that happens. And I think that's going to be just about everything else I got on my checklist to discuss. Brandon Shepard, any final thoughts from this evening?
1: Read books. That's the best way. To, it's the best way to pass time.
0: What are you reading right now, Shepard? Any recommendations? Uh,
1: democracy in America by, Alex, by uh, Alexis de Tocqueville.
0: What's that about? Uh, democracy in America.
1: Yes, it's an it's it's a 1835 book written by. It's one of the best pieces of journalism ever written in America. Um, it's a Frenchman coming to America because in a period of where the French were moving towards democracy, and saying like, here's how everything works in America, and here's why. And he, he concludes it and says, like, it, it will not last. And it was written in 1835. It's lasted.
0: True. That is true. Uh, I'll, I'll plug a book I'm reading right now. It's a, a Rumor of War. It's written by Philip Caputo, who is a uh, chicago area native. I think he's from Westchester. And he wrote for the Chicago Tribune for a long time. It's a firsthand account of the Vietnam War, and it is a very interesting perspective that I don't think I've ever read before. So, so there's that. Brandon, what about you? Any final words or book recommendations you got?
2: Uh, well, I go to the Derek Zoolander Center for Kids Who uh, Can't Read Good and Want to Do Other Things Good Stuff, too. So, no. No okay. books. And I purposely butchered that, just so you guys know.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, we, we appreciate it. Well, well said.
2: Um, now I was told to start watching Community, so that's what I'm going to do this week, I guess. Have you watched Letter yet? No, I'm saving. Watch Letter you. Kenny. You and Greg both yell at me for that, but I'm saving
0: it. Just, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't watched Letter Kenny yet, I'm telling you, if you are a hockey fan, you will love this show. Because
1: if you're, if you're not a hockey fan, you will love this show.
0: Exactly. If, but if you're a hockey fan, you'll love it more because there's a bunch of brilliant little jokes about that are all related to hockey. There's even like a reference to Duncan Keith ice time at one point. So. Just, yeah, just, just watch the show. It's great. I'm telling you guys. And I, I wish they would sponsor this podcast. They're not, I'm doing this totally my own volition, but if they want to give me money to tell everyone how great their show is. I will happily do it. So yeah, I think that'll do it for this edition of Musings on Madison. Thank you so much for listening. We hope everybody out there is staying safe, staying healthy, staying home and washing their hands. Uh, stay tuned to secondcityhockey.com. We'll have more content coming up throughout the week and into next week. We'll hopefully have another podcast next week talking about, oh, God knows what. We'll find, maybe we'll, we'll talk about Dennis Rodman for another hour next week because I'm sure we'll have, there'll be plenty of things to st- discuss after the documentary that comes out Sunday night. So uh, come back to these, uh, this show, come back to the website, follow us on Twitter. Uh, if you have any questions or comments or anything, feel free to reach out to us because God knows anything that can help fill airtime is something we will greatly appreciate. Uh, so for Brandon, for Shepard, I'm your host, Dave Melton. Thanks again. Wash your hands, stay safe, and go homes.